Suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Unknown. With this being the last episode in November, uh, which is Mental Health Awareness Month, uh, I figured it would be a good time to discuss something uh, really important and something that uh, I don't think we talk enough about. Uh, the reason that I am so passionate about the uh, Move for Movember movement is because um, the initiative is to bring awareness to the fact that 60 men commit suicide every hour. Now, that's a horrible thing to hear in of itself, but it's it's very personal to me because um, I have come very close to taking my own life before. And I'm going to tell that story now. Uh, and I'm going to get emotional because uh, while writing this out, it was uh, it was difficult to go through, but if this can help anybody else um, to understand w- what's going through, someone said, "Now I don't think that suicide is selfish. Um, it's because in those moments you really feel like you, there's nothing you can do that that's not going to get better, even though it does." And. Uh, I just I think it's important to talk about things like this. So, um, I uh, had this idea for writing a book, and uh, this was kind of the first chapter talking about my suicide attempt. And, um, and this is what it is. So, to understand uh, how I got into that, we have to tell a lot of this story. So, here we go. I'm sorry. Um, I'm doing this all in one take, so if it's uh, a little bit choppy sometimes, uh, just bear with me, okay? I didn't realize how deep into depression I was until it was almost too late. You know, I had no confidence in myself. In fact, I used to let people walk all over me. I let my friends run me down. I let my family make me the butt of every joke. And I had a false grip on the reality that just by being a good person... Life would work out for me. I wasn't on a good path of life when the first real kicker happened. My mother had been my hero. And I was a stereotypical mama's boy. And my mom was just an amazing person. Uh, She was beautiful, outgoing, hardworking, and extremely passionate. She loved hockey more than anything. And she is a big reason why I am still such a diehard fan. My dad worked a lot, 30 days out of, uh, out of the month most of the time. So my mom, sister, and I were all by ourselves most of the time. Now, my mom was always in great shape and in great health. So it was a real surprise when, we got, when my sister and I got pulled out of school and mom told us that she was diagnosed with breast cancer. Over the next three years, while she battled with cancer, I started drinking a lot. I guess it was easier to numb myself and hope for the best than it was to face it head on and keep the faith that she would beat it. A month before she passed away, I was arrested for driving drunk. So I was stuck at home and had to watch her suffer in her final days. Anybody that's dealt with anybody or that's lost anybody to cancer knows that it's it's very, very hard to sit and watch somebody that uh, you, you looked at as so powerful and strong and, and watch them go to waste. 
it just really obsessed me. One of the one of the last memories that she has of me is that I I had made a mistake and and got cut drunk driving. I know. I hope that she she looks at me now and and can see that I'm trying to do better. So, uh, I guess you know I kind of seen it coming, but I I stayed in denial that I was actually going to lose her. You know, after she passed away, it was the first time I ever seen my dad cry. That whole next year, I gained a lot of weight. I was unemployed, fat, and I was drinking excessively. Now, I didn't want to be that way, but I was so grief-stricken that I couldn't bring myself to do anything else. You know, it didn't help that I was watching through the lens of social media, all my friends and some of my family, you know, moving on with their lives. You know, well, eventually, I moved out of the house after I got my license back. And I moved in with my cousin and a few of his friends. Now, it was actually a difficult but necessary time for me. Um, I was able to lose the weight. I, I ended up getting some lifelong friends out of it too. But then uh, a new pain took a hold of me. It wasn't now just grief. I was dealing with loneliness. You know, my depression did not help my lack of self-confidence or... Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, you know, at the time, I, I really wanted a girlfriend, especially since all of my roommates either had a girlfriend or were content with their love lives. Now, the only way that I could find a way to approach a girl uh, was to get blackout drunk, and I had some success, but I was never really fulfilled. Uh, after, around this time, too, my sister and I had grown closer and closer over the period of time. Uh, she always looked up to me, even though I still don't think she ever had a reason to. Uh, I was not a good brother. I was actually really jealous of her. You know, she didn't need substances to be social, and, and she never really cared what people thought of her, and I guess you know, I was really jealous of that. Three years after my mom passed, I moved to Calgary to go to school for journalism. And I lived with my cousin and his girlfriend, who is now his wife. And there we were in a brand new city. You know, it was great at first, a new beginning, but with my addictive drinking having been my most recognizable trait, I found myself falling back into the same patterns. You know, I wanted to find someone I could fall in love with. And it didn't help that I was living with two people who had found that in each other. Once again, I was jealous. I went on a couple of dates that didn't go well. I had crushes I never acted on. And let's just say that if I made any progress, I was really good at sabotaging my own self, uh, my own chances by either getting too drunk, being too obnoxious, or acting reckless. And then one morning, I got a call from my sister when I was on the way to school. Uh, she said that her back hurt and that she didn't know what to do. And I told her, you know, I'm, I was seven hours away and there's nothing I can do. So I told her, call our dad or our uncle who lived next door. And I think I even hung out, hung up abruptly. And I don't think I said I love you. <laughs> Later that day, I got a phone call from my dad. I ignored the call. He called again. And then my cousin's phone started ringing. Before I answered the phone, I already knew what the truth was. I can't explain this feeling, but when when something terrible happens, you, you do just know. 
Everything got quiet. I could only hear my racing heartbeat. I answered the phone, and my dad told me that my sister died. And to this day, that is something I still can't forgive myself for. <laughs> I, I, I'm trying to work through that. For the next few weeks after that, I don't think I ever let myself feel anything. I stayed numb. I was either high or drunk. I stopped caring about school. I just felt that life was meaningless. And then I had my first suicidal thought. I don't know exactly what happened that night. I know that I had tried to go out with friends. I tried to forget about everything. Just tried to keep myself going one way or another. And uh, I drank a lot. And I drove back home. Yeah, drove drunk throughout the city. Got into a parking lot, sat in my car. And I kept having this thought, there's a knife in my car. I was listening to songs that just kept me in a deep, dark state. I was crying. I was punching the top of the roof of the car. I was screaming. I didn't want to be here anymore. I didn't want to be on this earth anymore. I missed my mom. I missed my sister. I wasn't really close with my dad. I was watching everybody else move on with their lives. I didn't know where I wanted to go. You know, I was I was 22 or 23 years old at this time and I just didn't see life getting better. I was so lonely. I just finally didn't care anymore. So I reached over and I grabbed my knife. You know, I know that it would take, it would hurt. It would be scary. But then I'd be free. It would all be over. And I just took the blade and I put it up against my wrist. And all I wanted to do was just bring myself to it. Just said, all you got to do is do this. And in, and in a couple minutes, it's all over. And in that moment, it was like my life was flashing before my eyes. And I couldn't shake the thought of my dad being completely alone. You know, I had visions of my own funeral and everybody wondering why. I didn't let everybody know how much I was hurting. And for some reason, that was enough to make me stop. But I kept fighting in my head. Saying, I just wanted this to be over. I just don't want to feel like this anymore because that's the biggest thing 
when we get to that point, anybody that's been through that, when you get to that point, is that, no, you don't want to die. You just don't want to feel like that anymore. You don't want to feel so empty and broken and worthless and like there's nothing going on. So I turned my wrist over and I put the blade on the other side and I made three sharp cuts. And the sick thing is, that felt great. It hurt. And I was bleeding. But it wasn't on the other side. Because if I had done that on the other side of my wrist, it would have been the end. I don't know. Things didn't really get better that much afterwards. In fact, somebody had made a comment that I was, that, that my actions were a cry for help. And honestly, it was. And I ain't gonna lie, I've, had, I, I've done cries for help a few other times after that. But I don't want to do that anymore. The thing is that if I, I didn't do that, you know, I wouldn't have gotten to experience a lot of great things. And, uh, you know, it's unfortunate. I ended up getting married and I was really happy. And I was going to have my own family. And then uh, that got taken from me. And I had moments like this again where I never got to the point where I had a knife up against my wrist. But I did have times where I was driving in my car and I just thought of just taking a sharp right going into the ditch and letting faith have it. Because sometimes it just does get that hard. And that's why I'm doing this podcast. Because I don't want it. I don't want my life to to end that way. I don't want it to be nothing. And I know I have so much more to give. And that's what I'm trying to do in this life right now. The fact that I was going through some writer's block. And I just said, this is too important to me. I have too much that I want to live and experience. So So that's uh, what it's like to be inside somebody's head thinking about suicide. That was pretty much my inner monologue that night. And it's really hard to to go there. I know I got to perk up here and start start doing something to make me feel good. But... uh, I thought it was really important because this move from November uh, movement, now that's over, that's why I do it. Because it could have been me. And I don't don't want anybody to ever think that they're alone again. And that's why I say at the end of every episode that uh, if you are going through anything, if I don't know you, please reach out. Sometimes it feels good to talk to somebody. That's why there's a suicide hotline. And it doesn't matter who you are, what time, where it is. If I see it, I will help you. We can do this. Thank you guys for listening. I'm not, this is a different episode. I'm not ending it the same way. We'll be back to regular episodes in uh, the month of December. <laughs> but uh, 
I just thought it was important to do this because every breath is precious and I intend to live. All right, enjoy each breath I take from here on out and I hope you will do the same.